Knights to the offensive zone to Donoff. Between the legs, pass, White Cloud scores! Two goals for White Cloud! Because one hour isn't enough. We welcome you back for hour number two of the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Works to the middle, he shoots, he scores! What a move from Nidwa! Three to one, Golden Knights! From the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios and live at lbsportsnetwork.com with your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Live from Section 104 in front of a live studio audience, uh, this is Darren Millard along with Ryan Wallace at the VGK Insider Show looking ahead to the Montreal Canadiens and the Vegas Golden Knights uh, tonight. This is a game that Vegas uh, should win and uh, really is important if they do win uh, this game before heading out in the road uh, for a four-gamer. They have six games left before the All-Star break. You saw it off, and you go, boy, you go two and two in the road trip. That would be spectacular given the opposition there. And Buffalo and Montreal on either side of it, uh, four and two. Looks pretty good uh, with some momentum going into the All-Star break uh, before you have those games that, that uh, to be made up on the 8th, the 9th, and uh, 16th, 18th, and 20th. Uh, there's there's some potential here for a nice little run for the Vegas Golden Knights, but a lot of it depends, and you got to go uh, with a bit of a springboard tonight uh, by beating the Montreal Canadiens. It starts with this game. It starts with this game, and you're able to, with a, a strong performance tonight, you're able to... End the homestand on a high note, on a positive note. Leave the people feeling good, Ryan. Exactly. And then you roll that into a very difficult gauntlet of a road trip. But, again, as you mentioned, you can go 500 on the road, and the Golden Knights have been very good on the road. You know, you have an opportunity to make up some of the ground you've lost or some points you've left on the table on the homestand over the next six games. And Vegas has been so good, so good on the road this year that uh, it might be just one of those years where it flips back and forth, uh, the home record and the road record. Uh, I will say this, though. Uh, Montreal, you keep Tyler Foley off the scoreboard tonight, and he's just back, uh, come back off the uh, hand injury. And... He was productive against Dallas the other night. If, if he doesn't put up a point, they virtually have no chance of winning. It's one of those weird stats. If he does produce a goal, then they, then they win. And if they don't, they're guaranteed to lose. It's it's staggering uh, how much influence Tyler DeFoley has on, on this team. And then you've got somebody like Nick Suzuki, who... We know very well from being a prospect of the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, he, he leads this team in points. That sounds good, but his 21 points would be tied for fifth on the Vegas Golden Knights. That's, yeah. that's how little offense that the, the Montreal Canadiens produce. They're the only team in the National Hockey League without a player in double figures in goals. And and you keep going through these numbers and these stats and, and how much uh, uh, they give up defensively. And you think even without Mark Stone tonight, who's been placed in the COVID protocol uh, as of today, uh, even without uh, Alec Martinez, who's not back uh, as of yet, knocking on the door, uh, even without XYZ, uh, Vegas is still the better team tonight, and Vegas really needs a win uh, after what happened in the final two periods against Pittsburgh. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. Nick Suzuki, seven goals, 14 uh, assists, 21 points. It's it's a, a season for Nick Suzuki where you look at it, he's, he's leading the Montreal Canadiens in points. He's played all 38 games for Montreal. Um, and no, it's Only two players have done that. And, and Right, and, and that gives you an indication of the amount of injuries the Canadians have been playing through also this year. Uh, no, 
it's not a unique situation what the Golden Knights have been going through this season, but they've been able to really handle it well and handle it better than most teams. But I, I mean, I, you know, I, I look at I look at this one and there's balance throughout the lineup for the Golden Knights in terms of scoring. We, you know that jo Jonathan Marchessault and William Carlson and Riley Smith, though they've been quiet lately, are capable of coming through in a game with a couple of points, maybe a couple of goals here and there. Uh, I think you look at the Golden Knights and Chandler Stevenson, and I think this is another one of those opportunity games for him where he can prove to everybody he doesn't necessarily need Patch Reddy and Stone in the lineup to produce because he's done it throughout this year by himself with different line mates too. Look, Vegas was way better than Montreal at the start of the year before everything started piling up for both sides. Yeah. But that depth that we heard Kelly McCrimmon talk about in his opening press conference before the start of the campaign in training camp, mm -hmm. Pete DeBoer has referred to countless times. That depth is the reason why you're seeing a team trying to protect a lead for first place in the Pacific Division and a club that has completely fallen apart in Montreal and is in contention for the first overall pick in Shane Wright. That that depth is so important, and the margin for error isn't that great. Like, it's, it's small when you go back and forth between these clubs. And coaching and, and veteran leadership, it all ha has a part. But you could be Montreal mm -hmm. and having just a completely lost season. and Or you could be Vegas and withstand it and get through it. And I know Vegas was better and had better players uh, to draw upon and, and called upon. Uh, those players also stepped up and, 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 and played well and justified uh, that faith that the organization has in them. But you I mean, the, it doesn't take much to lose a season. Mm -hmm. And Vegas has managed to salvage it, even through what you would call uh, a flat spot uh, in this homestand. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you kinda, you're kind of you speaking to depth, and I, I think that a couple of players that jump out to me in, in terms of depth for the Golden Knights and why this team is where they are, it's it's Evgeny Dodonov, Nick Waugh, and Matthias Yanmark, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you, you look at Dodonov and quietly putting together 20 points and 30 at 38 games, 10 goals, 10 assists. Like no. those are big time plays and big time goals. And there are are games where Evgeny Dodonov has been an absolute force, a driver. Uh, we all know Matthias Yanmark, the the slow start to the season because of uh, some of those long haul COVID issues. But for Yanmark, it's 15 points, seven goals, eight assists. Nick Waugh, eight goals, 12 assists, 20 points in 36 games. Like Nick Waugh is one point less than Nick Suzuki this season. Mm -hmm. And Nick Suzuki is going to the All-Star game. Hey, do you remember Nick Waugh the other night, right before he scored? He had a great chance. Mm -hmm. Like, made an awesome move. Yep, down the middle. Down the middle. Yep. I, I said to him today, had a chance to uh, ask him, like, hey, that move the other night, that was spectacular. Mm -hmm. uh, before you scored. Yep. He's like, yeah, I got to score on that one because that's the highlight play. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the play that, that, that puts me on the highlight. And I was thinking that exact same thing. Like, yeah. uh, uh, you, you score that, you're on, you're on a lot. And, and the goal is the same. Mm -hmm. and, and so many times this year, we, we've seen players make really big plays, and the goaltender happens to rob them. Then they come right back and they score. Yanmark's done it. Kolasar's done it. Uh, uh, Dodonov did it uh, earlier this season. Wah uh, did it before that. Uh, and the, the highlight play uh, gets uh, forgotten about to, to a certain extent. 
because they score uh, after on, on like a chip play or, or a grind play. But uh, I almost appreciate the way Waugh scored his goal the other night more so than the spectacular play because it came from a net front presence, mm -hmm. a, an area that, that Vegas, quite honestly, is trying to be better at in front of their own zone. And we, we've witnessed that uh, work that they've done in front of their own net this week. And that'll be an area that they're trying to tighten up before they go out and play some of these stronger teams. So it it's really paying attention to how the Golden Knights play in front of Montreal's net. But for me in this one, it's how they play in front of their own net. Mm -hmm. I, I got to see the Golden Knights really physical and winning individual battles in front of Robin Leonard. Because I, I think when you look at the Pittsburgh Penguins and you look at the first two goals specifically that Pittsburgh scored in that game the other night, you need stronger plays in front of Robin Leonard. You need an ability to box out, to get to the rebounds first, to win those battles, and just be harder to play against. And I think for the Golden Knights, like, Braden McNabb was that in that game. He was fantastic in front of the net. But you need you need all, everybody pulling on the same rope in that situation. Don't be surprised if you see a couple of penalties from Vegas tonight in uh, front of the net. And I wouldn't mind it. Just, just knocking somebody down. Yeah or taking somebody out of contention to put the puck in the net and going that, that extra level. And, yeah, you, you're, I don't think you're that far off in the same position as, as what hockey operations and the coaching staff will be thinking. Mm -hmm. Hey, you're engaged. That's better than before, and that's positive to see something like that happen. Yeah, I, I want the Golden Knights. Like, I don't need them to win the hits uh, statistic in this game, but I need them to be the more physical team in front of their own net and in front of the Montreal Canadiens net. I, I need to see the Golden Knights really engaged in those battles and, and hunting down pucks, hunting down second and third opportunities in the offensive zone and really eliminating any type of second or third opportunity in the defensive zone. The, the analytics have pointed to this over the last couple of years, especially in the playoffs, about scoring goals in tight mm -hmm. against the opposition. And yeah. that's an area that's dried up for Vegas uh, the last couple of years. They've been way better at that this year. Yeah, I agree. It tips, uh, whether it's rebounds, scrambles, that kind of area. Much better. So I, I think that has to continue because you want to be able to lean on that skill in the Stanley Cup playoffs and be able to have that in your back pocket when the transition game or the power player different areas dry up for you and i've been impressed with the progress hasn't probably hasn't got enough tension we haven't talked about it enough the job that they've been able to do in in that home plate area and banging home pucks just the other night uh, was a good example of uh, of that uh in front of their own zone that's uh that's a relatively new challenge for them well it, and, and might have something to do with with the the moving parts that they have in the back end too and that's kind of the point that i was going to bring up in, in alec martinez and nick haig you have two guys that are not afraid to engage physically in front of their own net they're just not like nick haig has a bite to his game mm -hmm. and alec martinez is and we've talked about it many times an absolute warrior He's going to do exactly what he needs to do to help his team win games. And if it's selling out blocking a shot, then so be it. If it is going toe-to-toe -to -toe and winning an individual battle to make sure that you find that rebound first, 
he'll do it. And and those are the things that you miss with those players out of the lineup. Uh, Alex Petrangelo knocking on the door of 499 points. Well, he has that, so he's knocking on the door of 500. One of the great draft classes uh, in NHL history when it comes to defensemen. This, this is who was taken in Alex Petrangelo's draft. Eric Carlson. Not bad. 651 points. He leads the way from that draft class. Drew Doughty at 556. So roughly 100 uh, less. John Carlson at 554. I forgot John Carlson was in that draft, yeah. quite honestly. Then it's Petrangelo and Roman Yossi. There's a whole lot of trophies. Yep. On that list. And a ton of points. And Petrangelo will join the 500-point club tonight. Uh, he'll become the uh, 13th active defenseman with 500 points. That's that's a rare, rare, small group that, that you've got there with Alex Petrangelo. I, I'm still amazed at, at his game management. Mm-hmm. I knew he was skilled. I was aware, and you see the highlights, and you, you watch the games. But paying attention to him, I don't know whether it was, it's as much of a revelation for people as what Mark Stone was watching him in person, but it's it's close, the effectiveness and the impact that he has on a game. I, You know, it's interesting because I, I think that it took a while for, for people to appreciate all the different ways that Petrangelo can impact the game, right? Like... I, you, you sign here, you're expecting big numbers, you're expecting all these different things offensively um, and for Petrangelo, it's just a driver in every situation, like he's just the type of guy that you put out knowing exactly what you're going to get and he can drag a team into a fight he can absolutely drag a team into a fight and you know, I, I, I look at Petrangelo and I look, I look at the work that he does in his own zone, I look at his ability to get pucks out quickly, his ability to jump in on the rush and help this team score goals. There isn't anything he doesn't do. He's just everywhere all the time, and he's such a great skater that if he gets caught on the wrong side of the puck, more often than not, he's his own safety net. He's mm-hmm. his own safety valve. He is the guy that comes back and makes the play at the other end too. What I love about the Tampa Bay Lightning is they have arguably a top five forward mm-hmm. in Nikita Kucherov. They have a top five defenseman in Victor Hedman. Yep. And maybe top one. That's yeah. another way of saying best. I, well. And they have a top five goaltender in Andre Vasilevsky, who is arguably top one. Yeah. The best. Mm-hmm. In about a month and a half and I'll be loose with that the Vegas Golden Knights will have Jack Eichel top 10 player in the National Hockey League yeah I'd agree Alex Petrangelo top 10 defenseman in the National Hockey League maybe top 5 and and Robin Leonard who's a goaltender who's won the Jennings Trophy a couple of times yeah and is looking to enter that next realm, that next area of being a, a top five goaltender. I'd say he's top ten in the National Hockey League among mm-hmm. the starters. But that puts you, when you when you include that list and you buy Addy Jack Eichel and run it down, you're a lot closer to 
the two-time Stanley Cup champions who just won a game the other night with four defensemen uh, on the road and are, are basically going through the regular season for fun and still challenging for first place <laughs> in the Atlantic Division. Like Vegas with Eichel, Petro in their status at their respective positions, yeah. and then Leonard, it's closing the gap significantly. I, I like the idea of the, the the Tampa Bay Lightning going through this for fun. Just there. because and and you're right. Like you're you're talking about a difference maker, a game breaker at all of the most important positions. Yeah. Right. And you know, it, it, with Tampa, you have multiple players that I think can kind of fit into that spot. Kucherov for sure. Braden Point is is coming, and Steven Stamkos not too bad either. And for the Golden Knights, like up front with Jack Eichel, and then you've got Stone, and then you've got Pacioretty, and and you look at the talent there and the depth at the top of the lineup for the Golden Knights, that's on par with what you've seen out of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Defensively, yeah, like Alex Petrangelo, the year that he's having right now, for sure, right, pushing on the door of top five in the league right now. Like there are not many defensemen that are having the impact night in and night out that Petrangelo is having for the Vegas Golden Knights this year. He's had to be dominant, mm-hmm. especially through all the injuries. And he is, he's really been kind of the guy that helped weather that storm, that was asked to do more, and even though the numbers didn't bear out early on in the year, he didn't change anything. Right, like when when Petrangelo, oh, no, I, I thought he was their best player when he didn't have a point. Exactly, and that's that's the the most interesting thing about Petrangelo is there's there's so much that he does away from the puck and so much that he does that might not find the score sheet that's so impactful and helps this team win on a daily basis. Yeah, it, r- really impressive. The Eichel, I can't wait for people to see him. I can't wait. Yeah, just watching him at practice, and he and he. Missed the net a couple of times. Yep. He was angry. Sure. And he's going to be so... Pacioretty had this phrase to uh, to TNT earlier this year mm-hmm. after a game, and he gave such credit to Misha Donskov, the assistant coach who works with a, a lot of the players when they come back from injury, along with his regular coaching duties. And he said, when, when you come off an injury with the Vegas Golden Knights, you are the most fit person. I'm paraphrasing, but the most fit person in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Like you are ready to go. Jack Eichel's coming off an injury, but it's an injury that doesn't prevent him from being active and, and being involved. And, and he's he's ramped up from a week ago when he first joined the team to now. He's really increased the pace significantly. Uh, and when I, you watch him at the last couple of practices, and he'll miss him a couple of times, there's... there's anger he's ticked off yeah and i'm just trying to multiply that by a couple more weeks when he's really chomping at the bit to get into into the lineup and really can't wait to prove to everybody that adr process surgery is the way to go and to show the buffalo sabers that they they made a mistake uh like his motivate and to pay back the golden knights Mm -hmm. for going along with everything when they acquired him. Uh, it's it's going to be really impressive. And I haven't been this excited about a player's return in a really maybe the Sidney Crosby when he went through all of his struggles mm-hmm. and and the anticipation of and, and wondering what he was going to be like. There was a little more mystery there with Sid because of the concussions and is he ever going to be able to get through that? There is a time when we thought 
Yeah. It, it, it may be done yeah. for Sid. And that was year seven, eight. And, right, and he right came back. His, right in his prime, too. Yeah. And he came back, and I was there in, in Pittsburgh. Uh, we, we did a show from down there where he lit up the New York Islanders, which he did quite often during that period of time, but just exploded. And I was so impressed with uh, with what I saw in him returning to the lineup. This this ranks right up there in, in my level of excitement. I, and, you know, I, I think there's a healthy amount of doubt Right, like in this situation with Jack Eichel, like he's he's talked about understanding and, and recognizing that this is an opportunity to go out and prove people that said that he might not return to being Jack Eichel mm-hmm. wrong. And when you have a player that is highly driven, as you have to be just to make the NHL, then to be a number two overall pick and a guy that was that was looked at with the Buffalo Sabres organization as being that guy that you build around, that you try to turn that franchise into a winner. When when you are at that level in the best league in the world, you're driven. But this is different now, I think, for Jack. This is an opportunity to, on a personal level, show the world how dominant of a player he can be. And a and practice today. Misha Donskov grabbed a bunch of the forwards. He did this drill where he was at the hash marks on the edge of the faceoff circle on the sideboards. Mm-hmm. And he put one forward behind the goal line and another forward bottom of the, the circle. And the drill was Misha would pass to the guy down below the goal line. He would set it out front, and they would take a quick shot. But the, the twist in the drill was Misha would give the forward behind the goal line a pass that was knee-high, waist-high, like it was, it wasn't a normal pass. They had to knock it down, yeah. get it off their stick with a pass on the tape of the forward that was uh, waiting there for a one-timer. They went through it. Guys were good. Knock it down. Some guys missed it. Some guys would uh, bat it up at the end. They'd have to glove it down and everything. Every single. I'm not exaggerating here. Yeah. They they probably did eight reps of it, four on each side. Jack Eichel didn't miss a single puck. And they did two pucks each time. And it was knock it straight down, mm-hmm. get it, and deliver it. And in watching from upstairs, my jaw was, like, wide open. Nobody else came close. These, these are his peers, yeah. fellow National Hockey Leaguers. And he was so, his hand-eye coordination was so incredible mm-hmm. that there was significant separation between Jack Eichel and fellow National Hockey League players. It blew me away. And that that not even get into a shot or his yeah. skating or his competitiveness or anything like that. It was just a simple drill near the end of a morning skate that left me absolutely stunned. But those are the types of plays that open up time and space and lead to goals in the National well, that, Hockey League. That's why Misha Donskov works on that yeah, type of no, play. 100%. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's an uncontrolled, controlled situation. Yeah. And, and you get better at it. and you feel, like We're seeing a real trend in, with with players batting down pucks where they shorten their hands up towards the blade mm-hmm. and instead of reaching out. And it's just, it's weight. It's much easier. Tim Stutzel did it uh, uh, the other night. Uh, they, he didn't even do that. He wasn't even making it easier on himself. <laughs> he was going old school. Hands on the uh, at the end of the stick. And yeah. It's, it's another example, you, and you'll hear this uh, over the next, whatever, weeks until he plays, yeah. where we'll have this Jack Eichel update of what, what Jack did today at practice 
that blows you away. And that was the latest one where it was just the simple drill, and he and he left me wide-eyed and jaw wide open. Sounds about right. It was so much uh, fun. We're going to take a break. Uh, one-timers coming up next on the VGK Insider Show as we broadcast live from T-Mobile Arena ahead of the Montreal Canadiens and the Vegas Golden Knights. Maybe a two-on-one. Petrangelo gets it. He shoots. He scores. It's time for one-timers. One-timers. Short-handed goal. Alex Petrangelo. Quick looks at some of the biggest stories of the day on the VGK Insider Show. Let's start with acknowledging and thanking uh, Paul Powell Law. More lawyer, less fee, for bringing you the VGK Insider one-timer segment. News and notes from around the National Hockey League. And the Arizona Coyotes have a decision to make. What do they do with Jacob Chikrin? Do they move him? Or do they keep him and say you are part of the long-term solution? There's been a a bit of um, complication into the automatic decision to trade Jacob Chikrin, mm-hmm. and that is the status of John Klingberg of the Dallas Stars. I think it's a foregone conclusion that Klingberg's going to be moved. Yeah. Who's going to make the first attempt to grab a defenseman and, and pull the trigger on, on that? There's a lot of speculation out there that it will be the Anaheim Ducks. Hmm. They've okay. been closely connected to Chikrin, and now they're knocking on the door of the of the Dallas Stars. LA Kings, they've been uh, brought up. And there's a new team. Florida Panthers yep. have also been linked uh, very recently. Mm-hmm. So if you're the Florida Panthers and you think you could win now, yep. do you want Klingberg or do you want Chikrin? Chikrin. Chikrin is actually from down there. Uh, that would be a, kind of a cool situation. But I would, I would go Klingberg. I, I, plus, plus, he's played. He's been in the pressure situation. He's gone to a final. He's, he's been, there's, there's a couple of more things I like about his, his game. His body of work is just bigger. But I thought I'd throw it out there to see whether or not you would, you would go Klingberg as, or, as much as. Like you know, it makes sense if you're if you're gearing up for one run. If you're the Florida Panthers and you're looking at just this year, then I can see you. I can see talking yourself into John Klingberg because there's no, there's nothing that you have to do at the end of the year. You can look at him as purely a rental, and you can go for it, and that makes sense. I'm looking at it as the groundwork's been laid for the Florida Panthers to be good, not just this year, but over the next couple. And four years for $4.6 million for a 23-year-old Jacob Chikrin is something that opens up the window and makes you better in this moment right now. And I know that, that Chikrin is, is kind of battling through things this season. But for me, I'm going with a 23-year-old defenseman that I think is going to be um, just an absolute stud. And I, I think he could do that for the Florida Panthers. If I'm Florida, I'm looking at this year, and I'm also looking at long-term. Jacob Chikrin fits that bill. Yeah, uh, it's. I don't think you're wrong. I think you could sell me on either player. Yeah, absolutely either player. Uh, I worry a little bit about the small body of work with Chikrin. Like that's the, when he was younger, he was much more injury prone. Perfectly fair. And and he had the great year. 
Now, with a different coach, different setup, he's not nearly as effective. He was really good under Rick Tockett. Yep. Really good. And I'm not going to blame his stats this year on, on just a, a different coach or or hold him responsible for his own play because that's a that's a tough situation right now. Uh, on the uh, topic of the Arizona Coyotes, the National Hockey League has met very recently with officials from Quebec City. Nice. No, uh, no update on anything imminent there. In fact, I think it's highly unlikely. <laughs> if I bet on hockey, which I'm not allowed to, yeah. uh, I would... Uh, Put everything into the column of it's not going to happen, at least not on the uh, on the short term. They do have a rink. They do have everything that a brand new rink uh, going in Quebec City. But the National Hockey League did follow up on uh, on the invitation that was uh, talked about a couple of months ago from the Quebec uh, Quebec City government, uh, the, the municipal government, and the the provincial government there. So I feel like. It's not on the horizon, so to speak. Like I, I, I don't anticipate an NHL return to Quebec City anytime soon. But I do think that over time, and we know that there's there's some stuff with Arizona. Where are they going to play next year? Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of leading to relocation rumors, and thoughts, and discussions. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Coyotes are going to stay in Arizona. I really do. Uh, but who knows what the future holds for uh, the NHL and Quebec and uh, an organization that, that at some point may need a, a fresh start in a new, uh, a new market. There's more talk about the World Juniors possibly being held in August. I know that you were bullish on that. I guess you know, as a one-off, you could do it. It's kind of a weird time because... You've got under-18s going uh, in and around that area. You also have uh, players trying to get ready for, for pro camps. I'm not saying it, it can't happen. As a one-off, sure. Somebody asked me if it, they should think about doing it all the time. I loved the Women's World Championship being in the summer. I thought that was awesome and great exposure for the, for the women's game. I would like to see that. Yeah way ahead of the World Junior Championship moving to a summer date. And the, the, quite frankly, the TV partner in Canada with TSN spends a boatload of money on hockey can- with Hockey Canada uh, around that Christmas uh, break, and it's such a tradition for the last 30 years, probably wouldn't let it happen, but it was floated out there to me. So, I mean, you would know this better than I would, but it, it is the thing to do between Christmas and New Year's. Yeah. And, and that, like, that in and of itself, where there isn't really a, a ton of programming that, that you... No, but you, you still have competition with the holidays. Sure. And the National Hockey League and football and everything. An August date, we give it all... That's, and that's why I love the Women's World yeah. Championships being in that spot, is because they had it all to themselves. And now it's almost like some people are looking at it going, the World Juniors could do that. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's going to move off. Uh, like, as a one-off, I think it happens. Like, I think if there's a way to play the tournament safely in the summer this year, it'll happen because you're you're looking at a way to kind of fulfill what you weren't able to fulfill at the end of this year um, or end of last year. But I don't anticipate the World Juniors moving strictly to the summer because that window 
as as much as there is competition, it's ingrained. Like I, I, I know it's ingrained up in Canada, and it's it's a showcase, and it is an, an opportunity where you have people that are are in holiday mode, and they're they're wanting to be home, and they're wanting to watch it games, works. and it, it, it works. Just, it just it's it's unique to the season, and it it kind of puts an exclamation point on that week where. Um, you, you have Christmas, you have New Year's, and you have the need and the desire to see some things between those two dates. I think what a lot of people were surprised at when they canceled the tournament this year, like, I didn't miss it. Mm. I, I I was disappointed, but I didn't miss it. Now, part of that is I'm living in Las Vegas now, and I'm covering the National Hockey League team, and yeah. they were playing, uh, coming out of the holidays, they are playing every second day. So I didn't really have time, uh, but the, I think more than a few people felt the same way. They just went on, uh, which is a lesson. Uh, uh, if you're not present, you're out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. You know who? We, speaking of which, we haven't talked about it all lately. Who? Evander Kane. Yeah, we haven't, have we? No. It's weird. It's it's. We we discussed it a little bit with Sam and Ash. Sure. Yeah this week and just that was more about the legalities of what could he be facing from a federal government yeah canada united states and and going across the border etc but there's it that whole interview process that that kane and his agent were doing and potentially having a contract by saturday last saturday yeah that's really died down and I don't know where it's going. I I bring it up not because I have more news, yeah. because the silence is is noticeable right now. Well, I, I mean, I, I feel like it it has to do with the idea of will Kane be suspended by the NHL? And what does that suspension look like? Because I think until you have that information, until you know what from from a from an in league suspension type of standpoint, what he's going to be missing, like I don't, like if I'm a team that's interested, I'm not signing. I'm not signing him until I know whether or not he's going to be able to because play this if year. If you want him to play this year, yeah. you have to sign him now. Yeah, because he's going to be suspended. Yeah, uh, because of the second violation of COVID protocol. So you need to you need to eat up enough games. Yeah. So that means getting him done now. Now, what's going on in Edmonton? Is is that more, does it make it more likely or less likely that they are the team that makes the big pitch for Evander Kane? And I, I say that with all due respect, but the Dreisaitl viral video this week, the losing, uh, the Dave Tippett uh, controversy with uh, the goaltender, there's been a lot of uh, distraction around that team. Does it make it less likely then that you throw in arguably one of the biggest distractions uh, with his various teams? I think if Ken Holland looks at that option and, and thinks that Evander Kane playing alongside either Leon Dreisaitl or Connor McDavid can help them win hockey games, then they go for it. They, they make the move. Because... Like, if I'm Ken Holland and, and you all 
listening to this know how I feel about Evander Kane, and you know that I was very much a proponent of the San Jose Sharks should absolutely not bring him back into the fold, and you find a way to get out of the contract. That's that's where I was from and they day didn't. one. And, and yeah, sure. And so what I'm saying in this situation is if you're Ken Holland and you're seeing what's going on right now with a team that has to make the playoffs and you wholeheartedly believe that Evander Kane can help you in that regard, you go out and make that deal because your only concern now, the only thing you need to be worried about is making that team good enough to make the playoffs. There's there's some teams that can bring Evander Kane in, and I'll go, they're just taking a shot. Yeah. They're taking a swing. If it works, it's great. If it doesn't, big deal. Edmonton's not that team. If Edmonton brings in Evander Kane, there's a aroma of desperation. Oh, yeah. Around it. And that's that's very separate from taking a swing, and if it doesn't work, uh, off you go. There's uh, Chris Johnson wrote today that if, if they do bring in Evander Kane, it allows Zach Hyman to switch over to the right side, more natural spot, and then Jesse Pugliarvi to move down. So yeah. it, it, it helps you with depth. And it may it may just help get those guys going too uh, in, in some regard as well as adding a player that's a 40-goal scorer. Yeah. I mean, like, it, it's... You don't have to make a trade to bring in a player that could be impactful. And I think that that's important. Like, if you're the Edmonton Oilers and you can get a Vander Kane on a, on a sweetheart type of a deal because that's what you would expect it to be, um, you don't have to subtract anything. You don't have to make any type of move. You just go out there, you sign the player, and you hope that he can be what you need him to be. I'm not sure that's a sweetheart type of deal. It has, it has to be. Come with on. The amount, with the amount of interest that teams showed, we're talking 15 teams, I Ryan. I know, I know. It hurts me to say that. I know. It hurts me to say there was 15 teams. <sighs> but I don't know. Is it a full-out bidding war? No. But I think there's more leverage there than we would ever care to admit. What's your What's your highest number? Like if if you were pro, like a prorater deal, like yeah, because yeah. So we throw out a number, and that's yeah. what he would earn for all of this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Highest you would go three and a half. Yeah, I that's that's the highest I see somebody going. Yeah. But that's that. That's that's. Two weeks ago, I would have said 750. That's where I was. And then with all the talk about interviewing teams. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, sure. it's, it's a hard league to score in, and if you can score, mm -hmm. you can find your way back. And the amount of leverage, perceived leverage that they have shocks me. Especially if it's the Oilers, because you know what the Oilers are going through right now. Mm -hmm. they, they, they need something yeah. to turn into a really good situation for Evander Kane. I'd also be talking to Columbus, too. Yeah? If I was uh, Evander Kane. Those uh, are your one-timers. Brought to you by Paul Powell Law. More lawyer, less fee. Montreal Canadiens and the Vegas Golden Knights. You can hear our uh, music in the background. Team Mobile Arena starting to fill up as the doors are now open. Montreal, 32nd team in the National Hockey League. Vegas on top of the Pacific Division. Should be a win, right? Yeah, should be a win. It needs to be a win. Final thoughts and catching up with Chapman next on Fox Sports Las Vegas.
When the guy wouldn't stop talking, we had no choice but to give him his own segment. It's time for Catching Up with Chapman. Oh, Christopher. Hi, Darren. So, I came across <laughs> this today. That will never stop being awkward, and I love it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's kind of the, the whole point, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I came across this today, and for a long time, there have been complaints about referees, officials, umpires. Well, Major League Baseball, more specifically AAA Baseball, is going to, they're going to uh, experiment with robot umpires next season or this season coming up, uh, calling balls and strikes. They're going to go to an automated system. Now, it is a experimental uh, process, and it's not going to take place in every stadium. However, one of the stadiums that will be participating in this experiment is right here in Las Vegas, the ballpark. Las Vegas Aviators will be one of a handful of teams in AAA baseball that have the automated umpire system in place calling balls and strikes. So I, I find that kind of cool. And, you know, as someone who watches sports where there's instant replay review, I'm not so sure this is really something we want because as we've seen, video review doesn't always get it right. However... I, I, think, thought, I thought the Atlantic League just got rid of that. Well, it says that the low A Southeast League used it last season. Yeah. And uh, the Major League Baseball umpires agreed to it in their labor contract in 2020. To, Why would you ever agree to that? I, I don't I don't know. It seems like a bad strategy. Yeah, because we all know that Angel Hernandez is probably the worst official in all of professional sports at his job. because Speaks he, highly of you, though. Well, I'm sure he does. <laughs> It's not saying a whole lot that that I would be uh, high on Angel Hernandez's list, but yeah, he he's terrible. Like when he's on a game, it's almost unwatchable. Okay, so I want to know. I have no. I didn't see any of the A League uh, with with the automatic balls and strikes calls instead of a, a human being back there. So Wallace makes a pitch. Where do I look? to see if it's a ball or a strike. Because normally I look at the umpire yeah, yeah. Well, and he gives me the little signal. I, I, I don't know because I, I haven't seen it called either, but maybe there's actually an umpire behind because you're going to have to have someone back there for, for plays at the plate. Yeah. So maybe he's back there and it buzzes to him if it's a ball or a strike. Like maybe it's a really like it quick... it buzzes in his right foot. That's uh, a strike. Yeah, I have, I have no idea. But I mean, I would imagine that there's some kind of system in place that tells him ball or strike and then he makes the call. I can't wait to the first time that somebody gets called out on a borderline pitch by the <laughs> computer and Johnny he, 5 yeah and, and the Johnny uh, 5 the, yeah. the, the player gets the player gets mad and the human being just goes eh, wasn't me yeah well you know what Darren there's people listening to this show who Break have the robot. no idea what Johnny 5 is oh there's people listen to the show every day that don't know what i say <laughs> That's short circuit. You really, yeah, yeah. I'm surprised why I knew that. I'm surprised that you knew that, Ryan, because that's that was definitely a 1980s movie and a kind of. I was born in the 1980s, Chapman. Yeah, but it was a good movie. Late 80s, though, right? Late. It it got a little syrupy and and emotional with 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 number five, Johnny Five. He had feelings, but it was it was a good movie. Yeah, it was a good movie. Who Um, else was in it? I just remember Johnny Five. I think Michael McKeon was in it. The robot's all I care about. Mm. <laughs> this is really solid. Tracks for me. I have no soul. You know they made a part two. Did they? Don't, yes. don't sully. Don't sully the good reputation of Johnny Five. Oh yeah, Chapman. he had the tracks instead of wheels. <laughs> yeah. Really good. 
Uh, Vegas on track to finish off this eight-game road or homestand before they head out on the road for four. The pregame show for Vegas and Montreal is coming up next on Fox Sports Las Vegas.